This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad still in a hotel room in Philadelphia. As all of you are snowed in in Minneapolis and St. Paul, we are in sunny Philadelphia. 60 degrees here. It's baseball season in Philadelphia. Go see a Phillies game. Yeah, uh, the beach can't be that far away from here. Am I right? So uh, Jersey Shore. A, a very beautiful day in Philadelphia that we will get to spend. And tomorrow it's supposed to be 55 and a little rainy. And I think we will be able to get back home after that. So we decided, well, we're just hanging out and uh, thinking about what happened with the Vikings last night in Philly. Um, first, uh, let's just after we've had time to process it, Judd, almost 24 hours now, have you figured out yet what went wrong? I have absolutely no clue what went wrong defensively still. And Zimmer's going to do his end-of-the-season press conference early on Tuesday, and I'm very curious because he'll certainly be asked about it, very curious to hear what he says because the offensive meltdown is not shocking. It really isn't. I mean, we had talked about Keenum for the entire season, and and certainly it had been a good story, but the fact that it came to an end abruptly is not shocking. The defensive meltdown, I still don't get. I mean, Doug Peterson, the coach of the Eagles, called a fantastic game. Philadelphia's offensive line is fantastic. But I can't. the one thing, I guess if there's one thing that I can't get my head around even now, it's a guy like Harrison Smith seemingly having that bad a game. Like, I would have never predicted that. So so offensively, I'm not shocked. It's disappointing, not shocking. Defensively, I am really curious to hear if if Zimmer has at least some answers for what went wrong because it was a such a mind-boggling, drastic meltdown, I think. Judging by how Zimmer has reacted differently in press conferences this year, I wouldn't be surprised if he is not specific when it comes to what went wrong in that game. If he says, we, we made some mistakes, this is how it's been handled before and how it was handled in New Orleans. We didn't do a good enough job on third downs. We made a couple of mistakes. We had some turnovers, and he just has kind of left it at that. Early on, he made it clear that he didn't want to evaluate players in the media. And even though he continued to do that throughout the season, most everyone was playing well. So it would be like, so, okay, why is Pat Elfline playing well? And then, I mean, that, those are much easier questions to answer without upsetting anyone as opposed to when there are bad games. Mm-hmm. And, and that might be the difference between him last year and him this year is there were more bad games to break down. And maybe he just decided when it's bad, he's not going to evaluate players through press conferences, which he said last night following the game that he wasn't going to throw anybody under the bus. 
So I think that's an improvement for him in the locker room. But my guess is we don't get a lot of answers. And the game tape will come out tomorrow, so I'll have a chance later on to take a look at that. But I've formulated a couple of theories now that we've talked to Kevin Seifert and you know had some conversations and had some time to reflect on it. Some football people. My, my biggest thing with that game is the situation dictated some of the problems. And, and what I mean is you get up 7 nothing, and you feel like this is a Vikings game. They've gone down on first drives, and they've scored, and they've got ahead, and then immediately the defense can bring out the wood, right? They know that you can't run when they're winning. You have to throw, and they can be very aggressive, and on and on and on, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that once the game started to turn toward Philadelphia, there was some desperation to be more aggressive than they usually would be, or well, let me put it this way, more aggressive than they could be against a team with a great offensive line. That's where it starts for me is that Philadelphia offensive line protected Nick Foles so exceptionally well that you can't be aggressive because guys can pull double moves. Or you can do something like a flea flicker. Have we seen anyone try a flea flicker this year against the Vikings defensive line? No way. No. No, of course not. The only thing was that ludicrous throw from the uh, wide receiver against New Orleans, and that that didn't work out for the Saints. But other than that, we didn't see a lot of that because normally you'd be sacked. Right. And we didn't see an out-and-up route from Zach Ertz, a tight end, because normally you'd get sacked if a tight end had to take that much time. That's my impression of a lot of the things that went wrong on the big plays were normally against almost any other team this year. They did not quarterbacks did not have time to throw the ball that far down the field. And that allows the Viking safeties to play way up and be aggressive. And even if someone did get behind them, the only time that we saw teams have success with this was Pittsburgh. And what does Pittsburgh have? Great offensive line. Mm-hmm. And then the wide receivers could get behind them. And and that, to me, is the answer to what went wrong is you put yourself in bad situations with two turnovers, the defense wanted to stay aggressive, and the Eagles had the offensive line to block for that. It went wrong a lot, too. And I I guess, uh, to your point, too, the one thing that came home to roost was was as good as this uh, Vikings defense was throughout the course of the year, the one thing they didn't do was, was get the ball, right? I mean... As far as interceptions or fumble recoveries, you didn't see that that much from this defense. So if they were to get aggressive, that wasn't necessarily their plan on a week-by-week basis. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would just – I would love to know what happened to Smith, what happened to Trey Waynes. There were just – there were a lot of individual performances that you said to yourself, really, now this is the game in which it collapses? And um, – I have a hard time believing. I mean, you saw lots of tweets, and you heard it talked about were the Vikings not prepared? Did the Saints game take a lot of way? I mean, these guys are professional athletes, and for the most part, throughout the course of the entire year, they were ultra-prepared. So it just was, to me, a very mysterious breakdown at the most inopportune time possible. And it wasn't just a slip-up here and there. It was a systematic breakdown that basically continued for four quarters. I I know that our Purple Podcast listeners who are big fans of Case Keenum do not want to hear this, but they saw what happened, that the turnovers by Keenum, blame whoever you want, it's the offensive line's fault, but it's also the guy's fault who has the football in his hands. So with the two turnovers, mm-hmm. they hurt your defense too. 
right? Like this is the, the thing that we often look at it is, oh, they have a good offense, they have a good defense, but they're not connected. We connect those things with basketball. We connect those things with hockey because the same guys play. But if you think about a hockey comparison, if you're always defensively getting the puck, if your defensemen are constantly shutting down the other team and getting the puck, you get more scoring chances. You can control the puck. You can wear the other team down. This is very simple, right? It's the same thing with the Vikings, that they have the football all the time. They were one of the top teams in possession. They were constantly shutting teams down on third downs, and that was helping the offense. But the problem is if you have turnovers, if you turn the puck over, you create scoring chances for the other team. And in this case, those two turnovers, one ends up being a touchdown, so that's Mm -hmm. problematic. But the other one basically takes a score away from you because you're driving and you've got that chance and then gives it back to their offense. So now you're getting more worn down as a defense. They ran the ball better than we've ever seen anybody run against them too. So it's kind of like a perfect storm for this to go wrong, and then you combine the fact that Anderson Dejo was trying to come back from a concussion. And clearly not the same player, not even close to being the same player. And we know this. Take one safety off this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, they beat the Browns without Anderson Dejo. But you saw what Drew Brees did once Sendejo went out in the second half of that game. So not only do you have extra opportunities for the offense uh, of the Eagles against the Vikings defense to wear them down, but then you also have this situation where there's a couple of things that go wrong, like a key injury and a guy that you had to take out in the second half. And it was just this year was the year that everything went right. And when it went wrong, you didn't have, and this is back to the Keenum point, you didn't have the quarterback who could overcome that and get you back in a position with long drives or with a big play. You didn't have a quarterback who could get you back in a position to play the type of game that you want to play. Yeah, and that pick that he threw that got a return for the touchdown was absolutely devastating. I mean, that was that, and then uh, when, when he, he lost the ball in the red zone, and I believe I saw a stat right after that, Matthew. I believe that was the first time the Vikings turned the ball over in the red zone all season long. So those two absolutely killed you. Uh, but Keenum went from being a guy who essentially weeks, what, three, because not two, weeks three through through the end of the season um, had this certain mojo about him or confidence, and then he got to the playoffs, and it's so funny because the Diggs touchdown so was such a big deal and such a, a great type of play that it covered up so many things about that Saints game. And if you go back and look at Keenum's stats in that Saints game, they aren't great. They aren't that good. But when he threw that touchdown pass and it was a miracle play and the safety completely screwed up, we all said, oh, my gosh, it's fate. It's fate when this play happens. But, yeah, I mean, if you're the Vikings and now you've got to sit down and make decisions about do we want to franchise him, do we want to approach his agent about a long-term contract, the conversation has to be this. You know, guys, look at those last two games and look at the Saints game and do not look at the Diggs play. That's 10, sec- that's 10 seconds of a football game in which you are desperate you heave the ball up, it's caught, the Saints defender screws up massively, you win the game. But the internal discussions at Winter Park have to start around who's our quarterback and do we really want to make a long-term or significant financial investment in a guy who, when it mattered most, was average at best and flat-out bad at worst. And it, it, it probably goes 
more towards bad than, than average, Matthew. Well, I saw the stat tweeted out today that of all the quarterbacks to play playoff games this year, Case Keenum had the second lowest quarterback rating in the two games. And if you have that, you are very rarely going to make the Super Bowl. And, and so it ends up sounding like we're trying to pin the blame on one person for this entire thing going wrong when the defense couldn't stop anybody. But that's where it all starts. Because the quarterback's success on one side also impacts the defense's success and and sort of vice versa in this case, that we see without your defense shutting people down, without your running back coming up big, with your wide receiver slowed down by a back injury, all of a sudden you aren't the same quarterback that you were all year. Oh, and by the way, they have the best defensive line in football. So, and you and you know that that whole thing about him handling pressure. What's really interesting about Case Keenum is, as a member of the Los Angeles Rams, he had the worst quarterback rating against pressure in the league. And then this year, it was really good early on, and it started to drift back, but we didn't notice because they were winning. Mm -hmm. And when it got to the playoffs, he was awful under pressure. And one of the things that I think teams, the good teams realized is if you rush wide on Case Keenum, he has a really tough time because his first inclination is to step out and go outside the pocket. But as you saw on both of those turnovers, there was no opportunity to go outside the pocket. And he's not really a step up in the pocket and fire at 20 yards downfield quarterback. And then the bigger picture conversation is you built a Super Bowl caliber team here that could not get to the Super Bowl in large part, or at least a, a really significant part of this, because your quarterback couldn't step up against the great defense at the very end of the year, which is what we had talked about as the biggest concern with this team, that the expectation was Super Bowl. So if we're only talking about through the lens of Super Bowl, could Case Keenum do it? And when we got there, we found out that he couldn't which leaves the Vikings, as you said, with some really tough decisions to make because you know that Case Keenum is a starting quarterback and you know that he's going to keep you competitive at least next year. But if things break down, if Adam Thielen or Stephon Diggs gets hurt for a significant amount of time, if the defense is number eight instead of number one, do you end up as an actual Super Bowl contender with this quarterback? And I don't think that you do. But I'm really curious to see what they think and what they show us, whether they think Teddy Bridgewater could be that guy, whether they think that Alex Smith would be available. And, and that, in my mind, is going to determine the trajectory of where this franchise goes, whether you hang around in this, yeah, okay, good, but not great, or if you can actually take that next step. The only thing I think we know for sure about uh... – the Vikings QB situation is this. Sam Bradford's not back. I mean, I'm almost positive he, he's not back. Besides that, I have no clue. I mean, Teddy started practicing months ago now, and and because you guys basically can't watch it, we think he's doing fine. We don't know. So it's going to be tough. And, and the one thing that you have to uh, keep in mind about this team is this defense is built to win now. And this defense is not, you know, this is not a, this is not a four year plan or something. I mean, you are, you're going to come back at the start of training camp next year. My guess is you're going to be favored again to win your division and you're going to be expected to make a run. And the only way that you can successfully do that is if your quarterback at least gives you a chance in a game like you played on Sunday and you didn't have that chance. So it's going to be, it's going to be a big decision, and I think the risky thing about Case is this as well. You know, 
Case Keenum's 29. He's been a career backup. He had a very nice year. But is he going to now regress to being the guy that he was with the Texans and Rams? Has he turned a corner? Was this a fluke? Not not a fluke. So there's a lot of things here. But the Vikings, the Vikings are going to be judged in 2018 largely on that one decision. Where do you go at quarterback? Who is your guy? And a lot of the things that went right might not. And that's one of the things that teams often don't factor for. I think teams always talk themselves into the best-case scenario. And this year it was almost across the board outside of losing Delvin Cook. It was the best-case scenario for Case. Sorry. Yeah, you can't just, get just around Just get rid it. of him for that alone. Don't even right? worry just, about come it. On. You can't get around best-case. Can we get a guy named Todd? No Todds. No, no. no Todds. Alex, is it, perhaps. Is there a good Todd? Drew, perhaps. Who has ever go to Drew and say, Drew, why don't you come join us? Who's the best Todd to ever play sports? Can you think of one? There was a... Well, there was a quarterback named Todd Blackledge. Certainly not the best Todd, but what, he, he was a Todd. Was uh, Marinovich? Was his name Todd? Todd Marinovich. Uh, there was Todd But his Light. old man was completely off his rocker. Yeah, Todd Light was a cornerback for the Rams. I'm trying to think of hockey Todds. Hmm. Todd Berg, was it Todd Bergen that Louis got from the Flyers and loved, and he decided to pursue a professional golf career instead of play for the North Stars? I can't think of a Todd. Todd Marchant? Marchant? Yeah. yeah that's was a, he the uh, Oilers and Ducks guy? Is that Was it Todd? I thought that was – I don't know for sure. Yeah, because I'm thinking of Brad Marchand. Yeah. I don't think Todd there's a – I don't think there's a Todd – Oh, there's got to be a Todd baseball player, right? There's got to be a good Todd who played yeah, baseball. Well, Todd's a baseball name. It's definitely a baseball name. Gesundheit during this Philadelphia, we're snowed out. We're not snowed in, we're snowed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, because we it's can't, great here. It's 60 here. degrees here. We just can't get home because they've canceled all flights to Minneapolis-St. Paul. Well, with the season now over, Judd, and, and we're going to have... Where should we turn next? We're going to have lots to talk about with the quarterback situation. Yes. I just Put me down for... I think you should investigate an Alex Smith trade because as much as people roll their eyes at him, he led the NFL in quarterback rating this year. He's a better quarterback than Case Keenum, and that's decidedly over a number of years you know exactly what you're getting. Yep. Kirk Cousins I'm very concerned about because I think you've got to pay him $100-something oh, it's million. A, dollars. It's a massive contract. Teddy Bridgewater I have concerns, but I don't know as well as they do. If the Vikings decide to go back to Bridgewater, it's because they know and they've seen in practice that he's ready to play again. Let me also stress something about this this conversation that's not going to get brought up enough, but is very important. Who is your offensive coordinator? Because Pat Shermer had a great year. I will say that to my dying day. I mean, I have we have seen with the Vikings so many coordinators not have great years. And they baffle us, and they take things out of the playbook, and we, we go nuts. And it's justifiable. I'm not saying their jobs are easy, but Shermer was so good, he made it look simple. And you can't tell me for one second that Shermer's ability uh, to adapt and adjust as a coordinator didn't prop up Keenum to a certain degree. And so part of this conversation also is, who do you go get to coordinate your offense? Because you had a guy who, yes, there were questionable calls, but for the most part was damn good. And so any conversation about quarterback play and about offensive production to me also goes back to do you promote from within the building with, with a guy like Stefanski? Do you go try and get Bevel back? Do you So this becomes very important because we have just seen in 2017 what a good coordinator can do, but we have also seen in plenty other instances 
what an average coordinator can't do. And so I tie the quarterback conversation and the production of this offense also to the fact that Pat Shermer had a really good year himself. Yep, I entirely agree with that. And if you're going to go back to Teddy Bridgewater, you better have an offensive coordinator that can accentuate what he does really well. Like he has great accuracy on intermediate throws. That's exactly right, yes. He is not super mobile. He never really was. It, he was he was mobile the same way Case was mobile, mm-hmm. that he could run for a first down because he was willing to take off, but he wasn't a running quarterback in any way, but very accurate, very intelligent at the line of scrimmage, really accurate on short and quick passes, and on the deep ball, I think there's room to improve when you have two of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He got killed on that by everybody, but at the same time, you're talking about Thielen and Diggs, not... Mike Wallace and what? Who who was the other wide receiver at that point? Oh, who who would it have been in two thousand? Well, they started to work in digs. Two thousand fifteen, right? Well, also, but, but he was a rookie at that. Also, point. keep in mind too, because we have lots of folks now who like Case who come back and say, "Well, Teddy's no great shakes. You don't think Teddy's that that good, right?" Well, keep in mind, Teddy Teddy Bridgewater in this offense has never got a chance to run this offense. Teddy Bridgewater ran Adrian Peterson's offensive system so any any conversation about teddy's shortcomings also need to go back to the point of if he starts at 2018 matthew this will be the first time that he's essentially allowed to be the focal point because after game one of the 2015 season we we shifted back in a big way to what's going to make adrian look the best and what's going to benefit him the most. So for everyone who, who thinks that, that Teddy was not great in 2015, understand this. He never has had a chance to run the Vikings offense as his own. And if he starts in 2018, he's going to get that chance. And we've mentioned this uh, kind of a number of times. I feel like I don't need it doesn't need to go over, you know, over and over and over again. But fantasy stats are not real football. That I, I, I mean, Stefan Diggs is a great example of this, that Okay, Stephon Diggs had 64 catches this year. His fantasy owners might have been disappointed. He also ranked in the top 10 by Pro Football Focus this year, which is for wide receivers I think is a great metric because it's basically just judged on when the ball is thrown to you, how are you doing mm-hmm. on it? And he was one of the best in the NFL this year. Teddy Bridgewater only threw 14 touchdown passes. I am well aware because it has been brought up many, many times by no, people who do not that, yeah. like Teddy Bridgewater. Well... I, First of all, Adrian Peterson ran the ball in the red zone. North Turner was terrible at dialing up plays in the red zone. But also, I, I, I think that Teddy played a lot of situational football of let's just make sure we're not turning the ball over here. Let's make sure we're not giving up the big play. And interestingly enough, in terms of the percentage of drives that the Vikings scored points on, the Vikings were higher in 2015 than they were this year. So the number of times you touch the ball and you either got three or seven, the Vikings in 2015 scored, they were seventh in the league. This year they were ninth. And and so the point just being that Teddy Bridgewater was moving the football down the field. He was getting uh, long drives. He was setting them up in position to score points. And he just wasn't the one who was punching the ball in. And their red zone wasn't as good as it was this year which I think was largely scheme. How many wide-open wide receivers was Case Keenum throwing to? Mm-hmm. So all of those things. And, and the other thing is, too, the, just eye test, just seeing both guys play on tape. Bridgewater is the more gifted quarterback. 
and Mike Zimmer really likes Teddy Bridgewater. I think all of those things lean toward him being the quarterback of this team, except for you got to have a price point, right? Yes. Like, do you have any sense for what someone would pay Teddy Bridgewater to be their quarterback? I I think if I'm the Vikings and I decide that he's my guy and he looked um, good in practice, I go to him as soon as possible and say, let's do a three-year deal. We'll be very fair because here's the problem. If he gets to the free agent market, if he gets to March, I don't know. And teams are crazy. And it takes one team, the Dolphins, the Jets, the Browns. Take your pick. It takes one team to say, I mean, we know for a fact that the Miami Dolphins called the Vikings with Bridgewater's knee still, I I think he wasn't practicing yet. They called the Vikings and basically asked, what's it going to take to get him? So I don't know. But if I'm the Vikings and I decide that he's recovered sufficiently and he's my guy, I am proactive in trying to work out a fair deal as soon as possible. I'm not going to wait on this. Now, my, one question that comes up for me, and I don't think that the Vikings care this much about it because they let Adrian Peterson go and they found a way to do it without upsetting people. Um, but letting Case Keenum go, you're going to get hit with a lot of criticism, not from this podcast, but from the ESPNs, from the NFL networks, from the national columnists, the same type of people that jumped on the Tyrod Taylor bandwagon. Remember that? When he got benched, they all came out, Tyrod's actually a great quarterback. You're all just crazy. Well, I could tell you from having been there, he's not a great quarterback, and you saw that in the playoffs, but that's what happens, right? Sure. They love their causes. They love their... Well, it's a good story. Yeah, this guy's the underdog, and he proved... That, you know, and you're crazy to go back to Bridgewater. So they have to understand that they're going to deal with a lot of that and Mm -hmm. a lot of fans who really bought into Keenum and related to his underdog story. And I I would say this, that it always sounds like we're hammering him, but he proved that he's way better than anyone ever thought he was. And he deserves to be a starter in the NFL. It's just, is he the quarterback that can get you over the top? And they may decide, no. I think there will be a large section of the fan base, Judd, that is really upset if they let him go. I think there is, but but I, I would much prefer to, to have them upset for a short time than to sign Case to a three-year contract with guaranteed cash, lots of it, and find out you're wrong. They have to, I mean, they have to sit down and internally decide how much do we like him because there is the off chance that he's going to get paid. Now, perhaps he hits the, the market and it's, Fitzpatrick from a few years back with the Jets, and he sits there and he doesn't get paid. I think he gets paid. And if you're the Vikings, and the thing, the tip-off to me is Mike Zimmer never fully committed to him. That says something. I mean, if you if you believe that Mike Zimmer is a good football coach, if you believe he's a really good football mind, which I think the majority of, of Vikings fans do, correct? If that's your belief, then you have to know in your heart of hearts there was a reason why this guy never fully committed to case, why he brought his his veteran counsel around to basically ask, should we keep case as the starter, which is a huge, huge thing, and then admitted late in the season that he wasn't convinced that case was his guy until after, I think, like the Falcons game. So if you're going to be a Zimmer fan and you're going to say, I trust this guy, then you have to put stock in the fact uh, that he essentially questioned if he was the right guy to start 
Now, it was on a one-year, $2 million contract, but do you really want to make a long-term three-year commitment to a guy if you're genuinely afraid he's going to come back in 2018 and struggle? I don't know. I don't think so. When I look at this now, I think it's better that they lost 38-7 to instead of 21-17, and Case was just not quite good enough, right? Like... Imagine that they had lost that on a late game pick or something like that by Keenum. And then everyone would have said, oh, you're getting rid of that guy just because of one bad play at the end. And he got us there and it wasn't his fault or if it was a missed field goal or something like that. Sure. When you leave this kind of taste in the mouths of your fan base, if you want to move on from Case Keenum, I think you're going to get away with that. I, I mean, I don't think that anybody is going to say oh my gosh, I'm never buying purple ever again because you didn't stick with the quarterback that lost 38-7 to in our biggest game. That, that probably helps their cause if that's what they want to do. Now, the franchise tag option is pretty interesting, Judd, because, yeah, it's a lot of money for one year, but it's not a commitment to him. It just means that you've got him for the one year and he's got an opportunity to prove that he's either good or he's not. I think that I have a big enough sample to know right now, but Washington did this with Kirk Cousins. That they decided to just keep franchise tagging him. The Bills did this with Tyrod. That they didn't franchise tag him but signed him to short-term deals that allowed them to walk away at any time. The only problem with that for me is I don't think you can play that game when you're a team that has the roster to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, and that's the problem. I And if you... If you franchise him and he comes back and struggles, I, I think there's going to be inherent pressure internally because of the price that you'd be paying him. Because the tag is going to probably be what for a quarterback in 2018? $22 million, something yeah, like over that? over 20 So you're going to feel a certain inherent pressure even if he struggles to continue playing him. I think if you're the Vikings, you need to sit down and you need to, you need to come up with a long-term plan for what is best. That's the thing. Because the franchise tag is going to give you that pressure of, oh, my gosh, we're paying him so much. Can we lift him? I mean, there's a, there's a chance that Case Keenum comes back and three weeks in next year, it's just over. I mean, he might have turned the corner to be a starter. He also might be a backup again. And if, if he is, you're paying him a lot of cash to uh, to bench him. At, that's I really think that they probably have an idea by now, but I really think that that's why – they need to sit down and decide what is best because they remain in this window where if things continue to go right, where this defense is good enough to take you a long way. And it's not going to last for a long time. And for all we know, a 2018 collar, all hell could break loose and things could go wrong and guys could get hurt and they could win seven games. But if you're thinking the right way, I think you also need to be cognizant of the fact that your quarterback decision, I'll go back to what I said before, is going to be the most important decision that you probably make. And if your head coach comes in and says, you know what, Rick, Ziggy, he's not my guy, then I don't think that he should be your guy. I really don't. All right, I want to run through the free agents that the Vikings have, save for the quarterbacks. You know that uh, that's a complicated situation. Very complicated. Jarek McKinnon, Judd. Is Jarek McKinnon back, and do you think that they should try to bring him back? I think they should try and bring him back. He is not back. Uh, locker room clean out on Monday. He basically said that he wants to be the main guy somewhere, which I think 
I don't think is going to happen. And if it does, I don't think with, with his size that's the best role for him. Uh, but if I'm McKinnon and I look and I say Dalvin Cook is coming back and Dalvin Cook is really a very good, well-rounded player, I at least look for a Darren Sproles role elsewhere. So in the end, I think they make McKinnon an offer to come back. I like him. I think he leaves. I you? think he leaves as well, but I don't think he's going to find what he's looking for. I think he probably wants a contract like Latavius Murray got couple of years, double-digit millions. I don't think anybody's signing him to that because unless you're a special running back, no one gives you a ton of money. And he might find that the money that the Vikings would offer wouldn't be much different, but the playing time won't be much. I mean, if, if that, you... Yes, that's the problem. I the, agree. The, the only reason if you're the Vikings that you'd want to bring him back is if you're afraid that Delvin's knee won't respond. Yep. And it's an ACL, it probably will. Right. Yes. So it, it, we've seen that before. Many athletes have had the ACL. They come back. They're fine. And my guess is that Delvin Cook is in the Pro Bowl next year and that he's run for 1,200 yards and he's caught 50 passes. And we look at him as the centerpiece of the offense or, or one of the centerpieces of the offense. If you're Jarek McKinnon, you're probably looking at that saying you don't really need a guy who can catch anymore because Delvin can catch. And with Latavius, he might get five or 600 yards, something like that. He's worth keeping to have that insurance. You probably don't need two insurance policies at that point, and it's better off for Jarek to go. I would say that Jarek proved this year that he's great in a rotation. He was really helpful this year. Yep. He had some big runs. He had a lot of great receptions. 52 uh, catches, right? Yeah, and, and a lot yeah. of them were big plays, too, that, mm -hmm. that were explosive plays, 15-yard catches or more that were not there from the year before. Uh, but I, I also don't think that he's quite to the level of a guy who's going to be an every-down back, which barely exists anymore. Right. I mean, you look around the league, there aren't that many every-down backs in the NFL. So we're on the same page there. Jarek McKinnon is probably gone. Um, Sharif Floyd, I think his career is likely over. Which is a very sad story. It really is. He's a hell of a player. Great too. player. He was a really good player. Just uh, the injuries just stacking up. Michael yeah. Floyd, I think we're on the same page. Uh, it, that's done. Yeah, the, the Michael Floyd experiment. For all that we spent talking about him. And the kombucha the, tea. It just, he gave nothing to the team. I mean, nothing at all. Just, uh, there was like one catch in Chicago that's that was pretty nice. I was just going to bring yeah. up that play. That's the, the only Michael Floyd highlight that I can remember for the 2017 season was the catch in Chicago. And. You wonder if they, they wanted a pure deep threat, and Michael Floyd had been that in his career, but he fell off the side of the cliff so fast. Even in training camp, he looked really good, but it was it must have been clear to them, since they were playing Treadwell yeah. over him, that he couldn't separate anymore and make those types of plays. That's a see you later. So he's only 28. He is 28 going on 40, isn't yeah, he? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It didn't work. Uh, Emmanuel Lemur is a good veteran backup, and if he wants to come back cheap, that's fine by me. And you can replace him easily if he doesn't. He's also a Zimmer guy that he yeah. was with Zimmer in Cincinnati. Yep. Uh, I have no reason for Tremaine Brock to be on the team again. I would agree with that. Marcus Sherrills can have a job as long as Marcus Sherrills wants he a job. He can catch punts and he can uh, field kickoffs. Yes, if Marcus Sherrills wants to come back at a reasonable rate, Marcus Sherrills is back without question, and and he will make the 53. The days of me saying, you know, who's not going to make this team? Marcus Sherrills 
are long over. Marcus Sherrills will always make this team as long as he can uh, be as productive as he is on special teams. Turns out catching punts is hard. Catching punts and returning them? Catching punts and not fumbling them and fair catching them is hard. This guy does more th- than that. So, yeah, Marcus Sherrills ha- has a job uh, for the next few years, and I don't think that he's in any jeopardy of losing that job. Kicker Kai Forbath. You know, I think if you look ultimately for how much he scared us and how much he struggled at one point with uh, point after attempts, I think if you look at the field goal percentage, collar, it's pretty good, correct? Correct. Uh, so I would have no problem. And it seemed to me like the extra points approved after he moved uh, his place on the field. I think he went from the center of the field on extra points to a hash mark. Um, so if Kai Forbath wants to return once again at a reasonable rate, I bring him back. And he came up through in a really big situation. I know he missed the 49-yard field goal in the game against the Saints, but nailed the 53. More than Blair Walsh did for the Seattle Seahawks. And that's a pretty good kick. Uh, yeah, his accuracy beyond 50 was pretty good. And unless you have a chance to get some freak, then he's the best. Unless Matt Prater yeah. wants to come if play Justin Tucker team. demands a trade to the Vikings. Kai Forbath is released. Those are the only two guys I would go ahead of him because I think he's very accurate and he did a really good job. So he should continue to be on the team. Um, Tom Johnson is probably done and credit to Tom Johnson. His role increased. He's been a situational pass rusher forever. And this year they asked him to do a lot more and he was very good at it. I thought, but 34 years old, I don't think that you can bring that guy back. Uh, if he wants to have that role again. That's where you go out in the free agent market. That's where you go into the draft and potentially take a guy in the first round to start at that position. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're good players there are not easy to find. But ask, at his age, asking him to take on that kind of role again, unless you're going to rotate somebody else more, I, that's tough for me. Aside from Sunday's absolute debacle, if we, if we can just get past that for one second, um, I think I'm pretty much done questioning how defensive players are going to fit into Mike's system. Mike Zimmer, it's funny, but I mean, as we've talked about before, Collar, think about the conversations that we had uh, last summer about, I wonder how the three tech's going to be, and I wonder how, how this guy is going to fit, and is Trey Wayne's going to, and you know what, for the most part, for the most part, not, not on Sunday, clearly in Philadelphia, it worked out. Um, I, have the ultimate confidence in Zimmer having the ability to go to Spielman, having identified guys that he can use effectively. So so Johnson deserves credit for playing well, but if Johnson bolts, I have confidence that they could find either a draft pick or somebody on the open market who could come in and effectively replace him because Mike is good at finding those guys. And if there is anybody that can go into their 30s, if they decide to bring him back, then it would be Tom Johnson in part because he doesn't have the mileage that a lot of other guys have. He bounced around and didn't play a whole lot of football. I mean, he was in the Arena League. He was in the CFL. But even if you look at that, it was a, a little bit here and a little bit there, a couple of full seasons in the CFL, but nothing like the grind year after year after year after year. So he might be the anomaly player who can stick around for a little bit longer because he has been rotational and because he didn't have that really long NFL career where you start at 21 years old. But it's risky, and it's the back end of the prime. And it, So if it's cheap and he's willing to sure. rotate with somebody, that's sure. great. But if he's not, then they'll have to make a change there. Uh, Joe Berger likely retires. Mm -hmm. And again, 
big ups to Joe Berger for changing positions at his age, going from the center to the guard, and having a very good season. I, yes, I thought he, was, he handled himself well. He was, yeah. And uh, so it sounds like, because I know a couple of weeks ago, it's, he made it sound like he was definitely going to retire, and then I think he came back and backed off that. Um, but, yeah, he has been a trooper, a very effective player, and and I'm not so sure, Matthew Collar, that in retrospect for the playoffs, the Vikings shouldn't have moved him to left guard. Remmers from right tackle to right guard. I think that's an underrated storyline in, in the offense's struggles and collapse. I think being aggressive as to move Remmers from right tackle to left guard might have been a lot. I think in retrospect, if you had moved Berger to left guard, Remmers to right guard, it might have been smarter. I will always be surprised before that Saints game when when it was announced that Remmers was going to play the left guard. And I asked PR, I said, has he ever even played there before? And they said, absolutely not. Never started a game there. That was a lot to ask of a guy uh, because I, I once did a story on a guy named Artis Hicks who played for the Vikings years ago now. And he had been played for Philadelphia. And I want to say he played, if I'm not mistaken, left guard in Philadelphia. He moved to right guard. And I did a story, and I asked Hicks, I said, what's this like, this move? And he said, very simply, imagine being asked to hold a pen in your left hand and do everything as a southpaw that day. He said, it's entirely different. So that's not some, oh, I just play guard ask. That is that is an ask of, mentally or or my brain is is wired to always play on this side and now i'm playing on that side that was a lot to ask and remmers when he played left tackle for the panthers for the same reason because of an injury Mm -hmm. he was not good he struggled a lot and vikings fans will remember them crushing cam newton for eight sacks and a number of them came because of mike remmers well yeah that he's really good on the right side but I agree with you that on the left side, he did not look comfortable. And when I looked at the tape of the Saints game, I was concerned. And I thought that they might change it going back into this game, and they didn't. Berger would have been a better choice to move to the left guard, I think. It's hard to say because he played the whole season on the right and side. that might have been a tough ask as well. Yes, that's true. But Rashad Hill showed that he's a good backup. He's a very, very good backup. Mm-hmm. And he may continue to improve. Because he's a bright kid, and he works very hard, and he fit in really great with that offensive line room. So maybe he is a starter eventually. Like Remmers, who took a long time to be a starter, and Berger, at this point, putting him up against Chris Long, putting him up against Brandon Graham, Cameron Jordan. I mean, these are just this is just not fair. Those are some of the best players in the NFL in playoff games. And it was a big ask for him. Remmers probably, in my mind, would have been better in that spot too so if they had decided to just shove Searles in there well Searles it might have gotten beat too there was no really good solution but maybe that's the one you regret especially with the uh, hit that came off the right side yeah where Chris Long just went right around Rashad Hill um, who's left on our free agent just, left? just one guy okay uh, Terrence Newman I think he retires he's gonna be 40 years old correct I think he retires, too. I think he retires. I think there's a chance that he, he walks away from the sport for a year or two and comes back as a coach or in TV. Um, but he will go down. Make no mistake about this. He will go down as a remarkable specimen. I mean, when you consider at the age of 39 that he didn't move to safety full-time, that he still played. Now, he, he didn't play outside 
corner consistently, played inside in the nickel this year. But nonetheless, the fact that he played corner to nearly 40 years old is remarkable. And so uh, that's a great career. But I got to think he's a smart dude. I got to think at some point he's like, I'm pressing my luck now. I think it's time to walk away. And he needed more help this year. The snap count had to go down toward the end. I hope so at 39, yeah. yeah. But especially in the playoffs, he had the injury that hurt him, the foot injury. He wasn't listed on the report, but you never know, right? I mean, he he might have just practiced in full, so he's not on the report. Right. But maybe it was still bothering him, or maybe he didn't say anything. But he, he didn't look the same in the playoffs. And the thing you would worry the most about if you were Terrence Newman is, if I come back for one, one, one more, that eventually one of these one mores oh, yeah. is going to be me falling off a cliff. You'd much rather end on a very good season. The second oldest cornerback to ever play. Daryl Green was 42 mm-hmm. and Terrence Newman at 39. And then, and then the question becomes, do you trust Mackenzie Alexander to take that spot full time? I do not still. I mean, I thought that he I, made some progress. Yeah, Matt, but, Matthew, we had this, and, I mean, I, I was I was in lockstep with you on this conversation all, all last spring and summer, and I don't – okay, I don't necessarily trust him, but Zimmer has done so well with coaching up players. I mean, I thought Rhodes was a pretty good player, and Zimmer turned him into a Pro Bowl top cornerback. I thought Trey Waynes might be a first-round bust, and until Sunday, I mean, his 2017 was pretty damn good. So I agree with what you're saying, but I'm about done with making assessments of the defensive backs until somebody absolutely fails because Zimmer has the ability to to turn these guys into players, so it's become difficult to question them because we do we expressed a lot of angst and concern, and it ends up being like, no, they're just fine. So here's where the difference is for me. Uh-huh. Athletic profile that Xavier Rhodes and Trey Wayans. If you look at a chart of how they did in the NFL combine, which does matter a lot, like there are exceptions, but it matters. Mm-hmm. You would see two of the best physical specimens in the draft. And it's one of the reasons they took them at the top, that they're both intelligent players, but also have this incredible physical ability. When you look at Mackenzie Alexander, the arm length, the size, the speed, all of those things, they do not match up and not anywhere close to where those two guys are. And that's where you wonder about the development ceiling. So the ceiling on Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes is superstar. The ceiling on Mackenzie Alexander is just maybe a, a good starter, I think. He's a, he's a hard competitor, but you also wonder about their personalities too versus his where they seem to really take on Terrence Newman's personality and learn and become students of the game. Mackenzie Alexander has said that he's done that, but I don't know that that's true. I don't know that he's taken on that same mentality or if he's going to have a hard-headedness that that holds him back. That being said, I'd just like to see them bring in another veteran. Sure. That, that I'm not saying he's going to be a bust. I'm saying that if you're going to go out this year, the veteran was Terrence Newman this year. Mm-hmm that you should go out and find a nickel corner who's out there, who's 30 years old, who's been around, and bring him in and say, all right, well, you two compete for the job or you rotate. Because this is a defense that loves to have guys rotating in and out. Alexander played on the outside quite a bit this year when he was rotating in and out. So you can always have four corners. Or if somebody gets hurt, I mean, 
mostly Rhodes left a few times when he would get dinged up, but mostly those guys were completely healthy the whole year. How often does that happen where two corners well, play 16 games? That's very true, yeah. And, and So you're going to want another guy, and then if you have to rotate in, I, I think that's a, a big position that we're going to be watching. And in the draft, there's always the potential for Zimmer to draft a cornerback, offensive line, three technique. There will be plenty to talk about. So, Judd, I want you to tell me before we wrap things up. Yes, sir. We were stuck in Philadelphia, as you mentioned. Yep. yep. Out of close. Beautiful day here. The people at the hotel, big shout-out to Four Points. You guys are great. Oh, they've been fantastic to us. They really have. I'm not being sarcastic. They have helped us so much here with getting stuck. Uh, But we went to the store. Yep. Look around. Yep. You've run out of clothes. I bought some socks because I didn't bring any socks. You bought a shirt that I am not sure will go over well with our Minnesota Vikings contingent. As a guy who likes sports shirts. And as a guy who brought, so I carried on for this trip, Matthew Collar, and I carried on, I was wearing a t-shirt below my um, my sweater on Saturday, and I carried on two more shirts in my bag. Well, we're today, what, three or four now? Three. And so I needed a shirt. So we went to the store, and what I purchased was a extra large, very comfortable, nice-looking NFC Conference Champion Philadelphia Eagles t-shirt. Why? With the eagle on it. It's um, why well, would you do it's, this? It's to fresh. It's a fresh shirt. It's a new shirt. It doesn't smell. Very, very important because th- the rest of the shirts that I I brought by this point obviously don't smell so good, especially in the armpits. And so I purchased this shirt because I walked in, and look, here's the problem: these shirts were out front. They're brand spanking new, right? They probably showed up today in a big truck, and they dumped them all out and they sold them. And then I asked you. I said, "Where are the rest of the t-shirts?" And the store was huge, and I was like, I would have to look to look around. And I thought to myself, why not come home with a nice NFC Conference Champion Philadelphia Eagles T-shirt? So that's what I did. I think this would be much more upsetting to people if there were any real reason to hold a grudge against the Eagles for what happened. Well, their fans, perhaps, you could hold a grudge against since they are not the kindest. I'm going to say this. That's East Coast, man. That's just East Coast. Nobody and throws you... beers at fa- well, actually, I'm sorry. They do. In Buffalo, they do. I am, not, I am not a victim blamer, okay? When it comes to any sort of situation, I am not a victim blamer. So it's not right that someone threw beers at you. But if you show up in one of the most hostile environments yeah, on the sure. East Coast, <laughs> in a place that used to have a jail in the stadium, and you wear your horns, yep. your Viking horns, and dress your whole body in purple, mm-hmm. do you expect that you're going to be received friendlily? I do like, want to know. And what did you expect? I do want to know who is the guy, or why does the guy who wears the, the whole outfit like come to Philadelphia dressed like that? you got to be completely crazy. you got to – and – and it's so funny that people left who had uh, who had come here as Vikings fans and had gone back to the Twin Cities and said, these people are really mean. These people are mean. This is what we told you last week. They're going to be mean. It doesn't mean that every Eagles fan is a complete nut job, but there's enough of, of them that when I saw pictures of them hurling full beers at Vikings fans, it didn't surprise me one bit. But anyway, I'm going to come home wearing an Eagles t-shirt because, damn it, I needed a new shirt and I'm... I'm snowed out of my hometown. So let's say that you want to practice uh, your arm for maybe baseball or softball in, in the spring. Yes. You can throw beers at Judd in his Eagles t-shirt, and this will make up for everything. Do I wear the Super Bowl week is the question. Do I go around in my Eagles t-shirt and then garner 
or, or make friends, garner respect of the Philadelphia fan, some of whom I'm sure will show up without tickets and just to berate us about how bad they beat the Vikings. That, that is very possible. I'm going to say that you'd be fine wearing that shirt because of how Minnesota fans are. They would probably look at you, give you a little bit of a dirty look, and then tell someone else that you're a jerk. Yes. That would be how that Minnesota. In Philadelphia, they throw a beer at you. Oh, yeah. But in Minnesota, that's how they handle it. And I must say, having come from the east side of things mm-hmm. and dealt with a fan base that's similar in this way, not quite as aggressive, but pretty darn aggressive. Yep. Um, I'm glad I live where I live and uh, have the, the Minnesota Viking fan who listens to our podcast and doesn't threaten me on social media and, and things this, like that. This does I, not mean that I have switched. I'm not an Eagles fan now. All I'm all I did was I purchased a shirt because I needed an extra shirt. I'm saying that if you're a Vikings fan, you're listening to this. I appreciate that you're not insane. Like I'm saying that you shouldn't. You maybe you should have asked me before you decided to wear the purple horns. And I would have told we you try to go to the game, but just wear a regular sure. T-shirt. Like don't wear the purple horns. Don't dress. Uh, don't uh, paint your face. But, but I've mentioned before that when I was in Buffalo, I had hundreds of people blocked. And, and I'm not sensitive about it. Like, if you tell me I'm an idiot, like, that's fine. We could disagree on stuff. But, like, hundreds of people blocked on social media. In Minnesota, it's like two or three. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, just, it's a very different mentality. And I think some Minnesotans were really stunned by that. And their impression of Eagles fans is that they are complete savages. And they kind of are since they climbed the Chris Code polls. A lot of them are. Yeah. So, so now you're representing that, Jeff. I've got my – listen, I ran out of T-shirts. This is about – this is a story about a man who is trapped out of his hometown because we're going to get eight inches of bleep and snow. I had to get an extra shirt. This was pretty cheap, very convenient, fresh off the – it's a fresh shirt, too. It's very fresh. I mean, this, this shirt probably went to press on Saturday. They probably put all the stuff on in case – the Eagles won the game. They probably made the shirt on Saturday. I was a man who needed a shirt, and now I have it. Does not mean that I'm endorsing fly, Eagles, fly on the road to victory. Oh, man. What a way to rub salt in the wounds uh, of the Vikings fan. Hey, okay. Not my fault. They got Thanks, out. Judd. We will be doing <laughs> yeah. this Thank you, season plenty of more podcasts, plenty of more conversation about the quarterback. Um, first of all, subscribe if you like what you hear. If you don't, you can subscribe anyway and just listen when you get a chance. Stuck in Philadelphia. I mean, That sounds like a song. Yeah, it does a little bit. Uh, anyway, so subscribe if you like the podcast, please. We appreciate you all listening, and uh, we'll be back around. Also, anytime you want to tweet, email, whatever thoughts, always welcome and open to that. So thanks for listening to the Purple Podcast. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.